A report done by Indiana University biologists found that an overabundance of deer at the Griffey Lake Nature Preserve is causing considerable damage to the area's ecosystem. This research led two Bloomington City Councilmen to write an ordinance that will allow for sharpshooting of deer within the preserve, but many are still insisting this is an unnecessary measure. I'm WFIU Sarah Whitmire, and this week on Noon Edition, we'll talk about the science behind the decision to control the deer population and how the findings have been interpreted differently. We'll hear from one of the researchers, the director of the Parks Department, and one of the city council members who wrote the ordinance after this hour's news. Production support comes from Smithville Communications, serving southern Indiana with fiber gigabit internet and digital IPTV. More information at smithville.net. And from IU School of Public Health Bloomington, addressing public health needs by preventing disease, promoting health, and improving quality of life across the state and around the world through research, teaching, and community engagement, offering undergraduate and advanced degrees, publichealth.indiana.edu. Hello and welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Sarah Whitmire, WFIU, WTIU's News Bureau Chief, along with Will Healy. We are sitting in this week for Bob Zaltzberg and Mary Catherine Carmichael, neither of whom could be here this week. Today we're talking about deer in Bloomington and a plan to allow sharpshooters to cull the deer population in the Griffey Lake Nature Preserve. How do you feel about the plan? Are you in favor of the sharpshooting solution or against it? We invite you to join today's conversation. You can call 812-855-0811 or toll-free at 1-877-285-WFIU. You can also join the live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition. We're joined in the studio this week by Mick Reniason. He's the director of the Bloomington Parks Department. Dr. Angie Shelton, she's a biology professor with the Clay Lab who conducted the deer density study in Griffey that was used as evidence for the need to have the deer kill. And then Dave Rollo, he's a city council member who proposed the deer kill based on the Shelton report. We should say we invited members of the opposition group Bloomington Advocates for Nonviolent and Innovative Deer Stewardship. The group's members declined to participate in the show because they felt the conversation would be biased in favor of the sharpshooting. But thank you all for being here with us today. And I want to just start, I think it's important to to back it up and talk about how we ended up at this solution to do sharpshooting in Griffey. So Dave, perhaps you can take us back to... 2009, maybe, when the group of residents came together, signed a petition, and and brought it to the city? Is that a good place to start? That's about right. Uh, Well, actually, uh, there was a consultancy firm that uh, noted in the report of deer management, or I'm sorry, of management of the Griffey Preserve that deer were having a severe impact. And um, you're right that the, the petition was brought by residents of the city concerning urban deer, but at the same time, ERAC, which is the uh, Environmental Resources Advisory Committee of the Parks Department, had concluded that Griffey was endangered from deer and was contacting us. So that was happening about the same time, and that's why the Deer Task Force Report addresses both Griffey and the urban deer situation. 
So it's incorrect to think that, you know, there was only a problem in the urban situation and then we diverted our attention to Griffey. It was happening at the same time. Um, And action is needed. I'll just be very simple and clear. If we don't intervene to reduce deer overabundance at Griffey, we will lose the biodiversity of Griffey. It is already plummeting and it will be permanently, likely permanently affected because there's a legacy effect of having uh, deer browse, an overabundance of deer. So if we don't intervene soon, we're going to lose many of the species, perhaps most, of Griffey. Um, and we can talk about how, why we came to the conclusion of, inter- of the method of intervening, but that's, that is the fact um, of the matter. And then do you want to just go ahead and, and jump in here, Angie, and talk about how your study came to the conclusion that there is this overabundance and that this, is, this was the solution? Yeah, we started studying the deer out at Griffey in 2009, collected four years of data, which is extremely unlikely or unusual for an urban area. This is a situation that is um, occurs around the country. There are dozens of towns who are dealing with the same problem right now. It's not just local to Bloomington. Um, and we're fortunate with IU here that we did have the research done at the property. Um, and um, there have been some criticisms that of the, the research that the, um, the effects are not striking. But um, we do have, we found significant effects on spring vegetation, on summer vegetation, on small mammals, um, ticks, soil compaction, which also affects plant growth, and some other effects. Um, and if, you, if you're a trained ecologist, if you know plants well and you walk around this area, the difference is um, the effect of the deer is really painfully obvious. Um, for example, last weekend I did a plant survey at Morgan Monroe State Forest, and the difference in the diversity of understory plants, the abundance, the size is just overwhelming um, for a forest like that compared to Griffey. Um, you know, from my perspective, there's just no question that there's a significant detrimental effect of deer on the vegetation out of Griffey, and then that cascades up to other species in the community. Uh, Dr. Shelton, uh, so, um, and are, we're talking, the, the, um, what you used to base your research on was that those were the exclosures, That's exclosure correct. areas, and, and can you talk about how many of those there are in both the IE Research Preserve and also in Griffey itself? There are 15 exclosures in the IU Research Teaching Preserve, which is the southeast portion of the Griffey Woods ecosystem. It's contiguous with Griffey Woods. Um, the boundary is hard to tell if you're a human and in- invisible if you're a deer, obviously. So it's a single population of deer that's moving through this area. Um, so we had 15 deer exclosures, and they're scattered around the property on a, a range of different slope aspects. So plant there are differences in vegetation on cool slopes versus warmer slopes. So we had exclosures in all of those areas, as well as lowlands, uplands, to try and cover the range of plant diversity that's out there. Um, and you know the vegetation varies from one location to another, but across most of those, we do see. significant differences between inside and outside the fences. And those fences have been up. um, Two of them were constructed in 2005. um, And then when we expanded this study, the rest were constructed in 2009 and a few of them in 2010, just due to logistical reasons of getting all the fences up. Okay, I had actually done a a story recently about about the issue and um, some members of the 
uh, Bloomington Advocates for Nonviolent Innovative Deer Stewardship had taken me to um, to the ex- one exclosure that's in the confines of Griffey, um, and they they explained that that was the o- the only exclosure that was in Griffey, and they also kind of um, showed me like the you know uh, inside the exclosure that it you know they, their argument was that it n- didn't look any different from. Uh, the surrounding area. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I guess, uh, can you just speak to that? Like, uh, they're concerned that, you know, it, this is only being, this decision is only uh, contingent upon that one exclosure. Right. So that exclosure was not studied in the experiment at all. So the only exclosures that we study for the paper were the ones on the IU property. And that's because the study was funded through IU um, and uh, through the IU research and pre teaching preserve and the Center for Research and Environmental Science. Um, So it was intended to be done on IU property. I haven't personally visited the one exclosure on the Griffey property. I believe it's two years old. Is that right, Mick? That's right. Um, And it's it's on a south-facing slope, um, which is a little bit unfortunate because the south-facing slopes being the warmest and hottest and driest areas tend to have much lower vegetation overall than, say, north or east-facing slopes. And so Um, it's typical to see less change in vegetation in those areas. Um, It's also fairly close to the hiking trails, which was intentional so that it could be viewed by the public. Um, But deer tend to avoid those areas of high human impact. So you would also expect less um, slower changes there because there's probably less deer intensity really close to the trails, whereas at the IU property, it's not open to the public. And so the deer roam the entire area more freely. Just okay. want to remind our listeners, you're listening to Noon Edition, and today we're talking about the deer population in Bloomington. You can join the discussion by calling 812-855-0811 or toll-free at 1-877-285-9348. Mick, I want to get you involved here. If you, if you can just talk to us about what solutions have been tried at Griffey prior to this. Well, we really we really haven't tried any to the extent of trying to control uh, the population of the deer. It's um, been an evolving issue. We've, um, Councilmember Rallo mentioned that the study that updated the Griffey Lake Master Plan noticed this problem in 2008, which preceded the beginning of the task force work. And, and that was evident um, six years ago now that there was deer browse damage. So it's only gotten worse, not better. Uh, but to control it, has, there has not been any methodology we've found to be able to be effective, nor have we tried any others. But then again, this is a permitted process by DNR, and some of the options that the task force studied, some of the options that the opposition would like to suggest are viable are not permittable by the State Department of Natural Resources, who regulates fish and wildlife and game in the state of Indiana. So it may be something down the road. Other options may become available. To date, there aren't any other options that we're aware of that would be permissible. So therefore, they're just conjecture. They're just suggestions. They're not viable, and and they're not going to reduce the herd, and they're not permittable. So all of those things have made any other option considered, and many were. Um, I'd have to say that the work of the task force and Dr. Shelton and and the community for that matter. There's been a lot of public debate about this topic, and it's understandable that there's opposition. Um, our job as the land managers of the facility is to protect and preserve Griffey Lake for the future generations. And we're convinced by the research 
that if we don't take action now, there will be significant damage to the ecosystem. Trees that are supposed to be there that will take over when the ones that are there now die won't be there. Uh, other vegeta- I'm the non-science guy here, by the way. I mean, I'm the one who had to interpret data as our citizens have to, as our park board had to, as the council members, along with Dave Rollo and, and Andy Ruff, who sponsored the legislation, had to do. Um, we're the ones who had to interpret all the data from a non-science perspective, learn as much as we could and make the best decision we could, and then proceed with the recommendation through the permit process to DNR. So a lot of the things that have been mentioned as potential options really aren't. There are suggestions that are not permissible. I'm convinced there's damage. I went out to the exclosures. I see differences. I can't tell you what's not there because the people who know what should be there will say, well, you can't see it because it's not there. Because it's green with a leaf on it doesn't mean it's supposed to be there. Because there's something green on one side of the exclosure and not the other doesn't mean that's the right mix of plant material that's supposed to be there. And again, this is the non-science guy interpreting what the people who do know what they're talking about point out to me when I've seen the exclosure evidence. And, and when they point it out, I'm, I'm, it's more evident if you're willing to see it, if you're willing to accept that you can't see what's not there because it's been eaten out off by deer browse. Um, so we're convinced, the park board was convinced And I think there are many members of the community who won't speak out one way or the other that are convinced as well that this is a problem. Do we have a sense of how many deer are are there? No, and that's a question that's been asked and a fair one. Um, The the answer is there's enough to do damage that has to be, that the herd has to be reduced. Uh, In other communities where they have the same challenge that we do in in Bloomington and at Griffey, um, sometimes they've done deer counts and they do it by helicopter, they do it in the winter. They do it when you can see through the leaves uh, from an aerial position. But the bottom line is the deer don't stay in one place. So we could take a helicopter snapshot today and count the number, and we can take it next week, and we could take it next month, and it would be a different number every day. So it's really kind of irrelevant. If there's damage, there's too many, and there's clearly damage. The goal, I think, important to remember in all this is we're not talking about eliminating deer from the environment. They're part of the ecosystem. The goal is to reduce the number enough to let the ecosystem regenerate itself and restore itself to what it should be. And that number is fluid. And we'll know more after the first sharpshooting activity year. We'll have much more information about how many are there and how many we take versus what might have to happen in future years. Um, Dr. Shelton's doing studies now to uh, give us the baseline data we need on the plant material so we know what's currently there and then we'll see how that regenerates over time. We're not going to see an immediate regeneration in three months or six months or maybe even a year. It's going to take some time. We'll be in no rush to turn around and do this the very next year. We'll give it some time to see if, in fact, there is regeneration, and maybe we'll have been successful, and the first cull will be enough, and then we can get into a maintenance mode. Maybe there'll be other possibilities of controlling the herd size in the future. There are not any permissible ones from DNR's perspective today. So we don't have those options on the table. And could I add that they're not only not permissible, but they're not proven. They're not, there's no evidence to say they work. And, um, and this is an open system, by the way. So there, there is no evidence at, at all. They're, they're uh, in closed systems. Uh, when we were, the Deer Task Force was researching this, there seemed to be maybe some evidence, but in the final wash, it turns out that the evidence is not there. 
and that was in at uh, Fripp Island in South Carolina, uh, in uh, with the involvement of the HSUS and Fire Island, um, and uh, those programs have been discontinued. They have lost their permitting by the Natural uh, National Park Service uh, to continue it because it's it it hasn't worked. And the other thing is, is that people say, well, what about, you know, and, and this involved the immunocontraception, but we need an immediate reduction of deer. We can't wait for attrition for 8, 10, 12 years for deer numbers to decline of those deer that are already there. Um, we need an immediate reduction if we're going to save Griffey. I do want to go to the phones. Brenda has been waiting patiently. Brenda, go ahead with your question. Hi. Thanks for having me on your program. Um, I, I don't know enough about this uh, situation to, to speak to what the, the flora is in Griffey or anything like that, but when you talk about uh, future generations, um, it does seem that you're, you know, we're concerned about what the human beings care about Griffey rather than you know, what the animals do there. I, I mean, why is the flora in Griffey so much more important than you know, living creatures that are there? And you also wonder about like things like I-69 where we kind of have screwed up the biodiversity when it comes to building, you know, super highways to get from one place to another. Um, how, how do you, you know, answer questions like that when you think about what humans have done <laughs> to biodiversity and, you know, these deer are just kind of simply living their lives um, and we've kind of taken, you know, some of their environment away. So why is the flora for future generations more important. Can, can I take a crack at that? It's not only, uh, thanks for the question, it's a good one, um, because we have intervened, we have disrupted the system, we've, do, we've done so by removing the top predators. We can't reintroduce top predators in the Griffey for obvious reasons. Um, but, and so the deer continue uh, expanding in population, so much so that they exclude other species, not just plants, because the, the animals are dependent upon plants. So there are ground nesting birds, there are birds that, that nest in the understory, there are the fastest declining neotropical migrant bird, the cerulean warbler, nests in Griffey, and its habitat is being destroyed. So it's not just about plants, it's about the whole system. And um, eventually deer get to such overabundance, oftentimes, that they, they reach a point of overpopulation, the resource base declines so much uh, that they starve, especially if there's a hard winter. So it's not really fair to the deer to allow them to expand indefinitely into the future. That that would be that would be my uh, short short answer to it. There's more to it. There's a whole body of literature of the ecological effects of deer overabundance, and we reviewed it on the Deer Task Force, and it's very clear. Um, I, if I could, let me just let me just quote. This is Alan Purcell, the Southern Indiana Program Director of the Nature Conservancy. He says, in his opinion. Uh, there is no other threat to forested habitats greater at this point of time, not fire, not habitat conversion, which means human impact on, on expanding into habitat, not even climate change. Um, so he uh, compared to deer overabundance. Deer overabundance are having a tremendously adverse effect on eastern, eastern deciduous forests throughout the, the United States, Griffey included. Brenda, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it seems like part of your question is, um, we're eliminating deer's deer habitat by things such as I-69 and 
then shouldn't these deer have a place to go and, and maybe a park is the place? It sort of seemed right. like what you were saying. And, and Mick, I'm, I'm wondering maybe if you can take a stab at that. Um, deer are free-ranging animals. You really can't contain them unless you want to put them in a zoo. You can't trap and move them because they, their mortality rate is about 85% when you try to do that. Um, like anything, I'm a, I'm a person who believes in balance, and sometimes things get out of balance for a variety of reasons, and in this case, we, we are a contributor to that. The, the natural predators that Councilmember Rallo mentioned are no longer around or certainly not around in enough, in enough numbers to do what they would have done had we not intervened and removed them from the environment. Uh, so deer do what deer do, reproduce, and, and they have a very lush place to eat until they eat it all and then they start to suffer and die, which we've seen in Brown County State Park 20 years ago. Uh, so we really can't, nor is it our department's mission, to, to preserve and protect one animal and exclude that same preserve and protect mentality for everything else. So it's all about balance from our perspective. Okay. If I could add one thing to that, um, the habitat destruction and fragmentation usually leads to an increase in deer population. Deer um, tend to prefer edge habitats, and they're at much lower densities in large tracts of contiguous forest. And so um, as we cut down areas of forest for things like I-69, um, and those get filled in with, with grasses and more open areas, it tends to increase deer densities. And so that's one of the reasons we have such high deer populations at Griffey is because we have fragmented areas uh, suburban landscapes, agricultural landscapes around their golf courses that provide additional food to the deer um, and then that help them increase their population numbers. Okay. Thank you for the call, Brenda. Thanks. And I want to remind our listeners you can also join the conversation, 812-855-0811, toll free at one 285 wfiu You can also join the live chat on our website. That's wfiu.org slash noon edition. Um, just uh, following up on the subject of balance um, in the area, uh, I know that one um, one thing that was raised by the opposition is that lack of a clear number of, of the deer density uh, in the Griffey area. Um, without a clear number of, of that, um, a clear estimate of that number, um, the uh, estimated up to 100 deer that are going to be uh, killed by uh, white buffalo, is that... Um, I guess, are, how, do we know, like, uh, if that, like, what impact that will have on the, the deer herd there? Um, and do we have, uh, I guess, measures in place to assess that once the kill has been conducted? Well, from an ecological perspective, and um, <clears throat> the, the exact number of deer is really not what's important. It's the effect on the vegetation and the forest community as a whole that is the, the critical critical facts. So the, the effect of the deer is what matters more than the absolute numbers. Um, and we don't have an exact count, but I know from several reputable people who spend a lot of time out there that they've seen over 40 deer in one place at one time, which is more than the entire area of the Griffey Preserve can sustain. And I'm certain that's not the entire herd. So we know um, that there are a lot of deer out there, far more than than the sustainable amount. I think um, the sustainable number is something like 10 to 20 deer per square mile or something like that. Um, and the Griffey Preserve is about two square miles. So, um, you know, there are people who have witnessed more than the sustainable level in one place at one time. So, I've, I've, so, al 
sorry, I, I've also, um, in talking to folks from DNR and White Buffalo and um, other communities that have had the same management challenge in their areas, um, Dr. Shelton's numbers are about what we've heard. Somewhere in the 10 to 15 per square mile would be approximately right. And, and yet, if there is still deer browse damage with that number, then it's still not enough. We won't know until we, we do the analysis that's being done now to measure the plant material and the other animals that are affected and then evaluate that after the first call occurs, whether there's the right number or we still have more to do. Um, I'd ask this to any listener and to folks at home. If you have deer browse in your backyard, is one deer in a quarter acre lot in suburban Bloomington too many? Well, it is if it's eating all your plants. So that, that's maybe a way to t- sort of bring it down to a scale of what's going on in your backyard. In my backyard, I have nine on a quarter acre. Uh, we don't even attempt to try to plant anything anymore because they'll eat it all. Now, I'm not going out and doing anything with them at this point. When they're run out of food here, they go to my neighbor's yard or someone else's. But, you know, my answer would be nine's too many for a quarter acre lot in Bloomington. Whatever the number is at, at Griffey, uh, and I can count them because I can stand out my back window and look at them when they come to feed. But I, we really can't do that at Griffey very effectively. And it, and it doesn't matter because they're doing damage, and we know that. We can see that. I don't always see the nine deer in my yard. Every once in a while I do. But I sure see the damage that is the result after they come and eat at night when I'm asleep and I see it the next morning. So it, it's all a relative number, and we're trying to protect and preserve something that's, that we're stewards of the land for. We've had other challenges at Griffey. Anybody who manages land has these. We've got bush honeysuckle. We've got other invasive plant species there. In the lake, we've had Brazilian elodea and Eurasian water milfoil introduced likely by somebody who thought, I'm going to save Goldie when I leave campus, and they dump their aquaria in the lake, and then the next thing you know, our lake's full of something we don't want. So these, these are the impacts of an urban environment, people-influenced and otherwise, where things are dropped into your land that you don't want and you have to manage. People didn't like it when we treated the lake for chemi- with chemicals to kill the Brazilian Elodea. It has to be done or we'll have a lake full of nothing but a monoculture. No fish, no anything else. So maybe catching a fish and eating a fish doesn't seem as harsh as shooting a deer, but in our world, that's what goes along with managing land, and that's what we are responsible for. I'm afraid we do have to take a break really quick here, but we'll be back in just a minute. We're talking about deer in Bloomington today. After the break, I'm hoping we can talk a little bit about urban deer, too. And just a reminder, you can join the conversation at 855-0811, toll-free at 1-877-285-WFIU. This is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville Communications. More information at smithville.net. And IU School of Public Health Bloomington, online at publichealth.indiana.edu. WFIU News covers South Central Indiana and the state each day. You can read news throughout the day as it's posted on our website at wfiunews.org. And you can pick up a digest of all the top stories. It's like a newspaper delivered to your inbox each afternoon. It's a free and easy way to stay on top of not only the headlines, but also the in-depth audio, video, and print news stories you can't get anywhere else. 
Subscribe right now at WFIUNews.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Sarah Whitmire, the News Bureau Chief at WFIU and WTIU, along with Will Healy. Today, we are talking about deer in Bloomington and a plan to allow sharpshooters to cull the deer population in the Griffey Lake Nature Preserve. We are joined in studio this week by Dr. Angie Shelton. She's a biology professor with the Clay Lab who conducted a deer density study in Griffey that was used as evidence for the need to have the deer kill. Mick Reniason, he's the director of the Bloomington Parks Department, and Dave Rollo, he's a city council member who proposed the deer kill based on the Shelton Report. We should say we invited members of the opposition group Bloomington Advocates for Nonviolent and Innovative Deer Stewardship. The group's members declined to participate in the show because they felt the conversation would be biased in favor of the sharpshooting. You can join the conversation 855-0811, toll free at 1-877-285-WFIU. I want to start here by going back to the phones. Anne from Bloomington, go ahead with your question. Hi, uh, this is Ann Sterling, and I'm actually on the executive committee for Advantage, which is the Bloomington Advocates for Nonviolent Innovative Deer Stewardship. And we just wanted to clarify that Bannads would have been happy to participate, would have been thrilled to participate, had WFIU been willing and able to make room for more than one representative from those opposed to the kill, as it was able to accommodate three representatives in favor of the kill. Additionally, we had originally asked to reschedule as our executive director was out of the country just for this week. And secondly, I just really want to correct Mr. Rollo on the Fire Island study. Um, he's repeatedly stated that the immunocontraception permits were canceled due to ineffectiveness, and that's simply not true. At both Fire and Fruit Island, the research permits were not renewed because they met the objectives of the study, reducing the deer population by 50%. So to say that these projects failed and were canceled is simply wrong. Thank you. Thank you. Do you want to respond to that, Dave? Uh, yes, what uh, Ann Sterling fails to mention is that um, the Fire Island study involved three areas. There was a decline of 50% on the western edge, but at the same time, concurrent with that, there was a feeding ban, and that was the populated area. And so, uh, and then the other areas of the island, there was no effect. So, were deer migrating to the areas where they were finding food, is the question. The, the point is, is that we contacted the Nat, uh, National Park Service, and what they told us was that it was ineffective, that it failed over, uh, it was many years, this study, it failed to uh, uh, elicit a, a plant response, essentially, because they were trying to restore the ecosystem, um, and uh, that this is going to be Essentially, they're going to put in place a deer management plan, which they're working on right now, and they ended the permit for that. So that is that's those are the facts of the matter. So it's very, it's unfair to say it reduced the population by fifty percent on one part of the island. Yes, but you need to include the entire area under study. Okay, uh, let's go next to Katie in Bloomington. Go ahead. Um. I don't know a lot about this issue, but it does seem from what you've presented that reducing the deer population is a good idea. Um, but I'm wondering why uh, it can't be done through um, hunting permits or something of that nature, and possibly that would be less expensive. 
That's a good question, and make you want yeah, to take Hi, Katie. That is a good question, and, and it's been asked um, a lot during the debate. And it, I would point out a couple of things about our site that might be different, at least in our perspective, the Parks Department's perspective. Um, it's 1,200 acres versus Brown County, which is 13,000, for example. Um, it, the need, the, the sharpshooting methodology, while many would find that to be, you know, a, a, a very challenging visual to interpret, it's, it's much more humane because their effective miss percentage is less than 1%. So uh, hunters are not always as accurate, and they may not always target the same part of the deer's body as a sharpshooter will. The sharpshooters shoot for the spine and the head, and it's an instantaneous uh, death for the deer versus if you miss and you hit it in the body, it's going to run for a while, and that's a totally different experience. While n neither one's particularly exciting to think about visually, um, there's one that's more humane than the other, and that's the sharpshooting methodology. We also need to take out a significant number in a short period of time to start the recovery of all the things we've talked about on the show and in the research that's been done. And hunting takes longer to do that. And uh, in such a small area, it would mean closure of the park more frequently. This is a very urbanized area, unlike Brown County and many state parks. We have concerns about safety for the hunters, for one, and for the public who use the area for another. So all those things were factors that led to us choosing this method this time. Now, in the future, uh, we might entertain other methods. Currently, the only enabled method is sharpshooting. That's what we asked the city council to do. That's what they approved. So there would have to be a change in a future ordinance to allow for hunting. So at this time, that's the, that's the reason we chose to do sharpshooting versus a, a planned hunt or a programmed hunt. And how much is this going to cost? Uh, we had approved a contract with the Parks Board of not to exceed $31,000 with some expenses. Okay. Thank you for the call, Katie. Um, next, we'll go to Eric. Go ahead with your question. Yes, thank you. Thank you for the discussion. I, I can understand the reasons why you need to pay a company to come in and chemically treat Brazilian Elodea, and maybe you need to pay people to come in and try to cull the deer population. But for some of the other things, like you mentioned, like Asian bush honeysuckle, is this something that people right here in Bloomington can do to help Griffey Lake Nature Preserve? Are there programs in place where people who are concerned about this can get out and roll up their sleeves and pitch in and help make Griffey what everybody wants it to be? I think I'll take that one, too, because uh, they, they can contribute and they have contributed. There have been classes at IU that come out and uh, help us remove invasive species, and we greatly appreciate our collaboration with the IU Biology Department and others involved in protection and preservation of land and land management. Uh, a lot of classes study the area. A lot of classes participate in, in removal of invasive species. We have a general population that's pretty educated about the topic, and we have a volunteer coordinator, Kim Eckenbarger, that often gets requests, uh, how can we help with things like this? And we program those um, efforts into our volunteer program, and um, we're about ready to unveil and adopt an acre program where we hope we can get some groups to take on an acre of a park that might have bush honeysuckle or privet or something else that needs to be removed and not only remove it but keep it maintained in a way that keeps the invasive species from coming back. So thanks for asking that. There are a lot of committed people to that cause in Bloomington and we would welcome even more uh, participation in that effort because there's plenty of the invasive species 
challenge out in the 2,300 park acres that we're responsible for. And I assume Eric and others can, there's info on your website. There is, okay. uh, or 349-3700 or bloomington.in.gov slash parks. Okay. I want to give our numbers again, 855-0811 or toll free at one 285 wfiu Let's go next to Liz. Go ahead with your question. Hi. Yes, I just wanted to just discuss the safety of having deer in the urban neighborhoods. I was um, charged near Bryan Park just walking home one evening by a 12-point buck, and fortunately I turned around and faced him down and he stopped. Otherwise, I don't know what would have happened. And I also wanted to point out, maybe you've already discussed this, I don't know, I just turned the radio on, um, deer are also carriers of the uh, tick which you can get Lyme disease from. So now you don't even have to go hiking in the woods. It's a, you know, it's something that could happen in your own backyard, get a, a tick with, that's a carrier of Lyme. So I just wanted to add that to the conversation. Thanks, Liz. Thank and, you. And Dave, yep. maybe you can start us off. We've been talking a lot about Griffey, but what are we going to do next about the, the urban deer? Um, yes, what, what will we do? <laughs> what will we do? <laughs> well, you know, they're, they're similar but different. Here's how they're similar. Uh, the, the deer at Griffey, clearly they're having an ecological effect and a negative one. They're having that same effect in the city too. Uh, it's been described in areas, especially areas that are woodland or woodland edges, uh, that we're seeing the same kind of vegetation impact. Um, but they have other effects, of course, in the city. Deer vehicle collisions, the potential for uh, increasing Lyme disease, the, the potential and the documented uh, conflicts like the one just described. I am one of nine council members. To address this issue, really, it requires a majority. It not only requires a majority, it requires a supermajority because the mayor has made it clear that he is opposed to any lethal methods. Now I'm talking about lethal, okay, uh, uh, alternatives in the city. Um, so that said, I agree with the conclusions of the Deer Task Force report. The Deer Task Force report said for the, and uh, we had a consensus that the, um, that the urban situation could be addressed by a, a trap and euthanize program, um, whereby you know, d deer would be essentially lured into a trap and a biologist would shoot it at very close range. Um, that seemed to be the only way to address this because there is no means of sharpshooting in a, in a highly urbanized situation. Um, you can't capture and release for the reasons that, uh, that Mick just said uh, because of the high deer mortality. We're limited in options because we can't use immunocontraception in the city because it's prohibited by DNR. Um, so as I said, I'm one of nine. I perceive that there was support for Griffey. It was absolutely... A, uh, you know, nailed down, uh, open and shut case of the science. And in the urban situation, I don't perceive I have that support for the DEER task force recommendation. That said, these two areas are different insofar as Griffey, there was no recourse for DEER. There was nothing that really could be done to, uh, to limit the DEER effects. Um, in the city, it turns out that we found in the Deer Task Force that um, the discharge of a bow and arrow is allowable within season if you're permitted by the DNR. I'm not advocating that this be the, the option, 
but it is an option for some. We know that hunting occurs in the city. The Deer Task Force recommended actually to make it, uh, you, you, one can do it in one's yard actually, uh, as it turns out, because there's no prohibition. We recommended higher stringency that it happen on areas uh, of five acres or, or more contiguous areas area. Um, I would like to go forward with that, but that would mean likely increasing deer numbers in the city without some other means of addressing the overabundance. And so um, I can't go very well prohibit, put further prohibitions in place, and I'm not going to advocate to do that. So it's quite a quandary. But it's interesting to say that, you know, one can hunt in the city. Uh, there are no prohibitions against the discharge of, a, you know, using a bow and arrow in the city. There was in Griffey. You couldn't do that in Griffey. There was no means to address the overabundance of deer. And we know that, that this occurs. People, a conservation officer came to one of our meetings and said, yes, it's, you know, people do this quietly, but there, there is hunting within the city. Um, so this is, this is the current situation, and I'll continue actually pushing for the Deer Task Force recommendation. But, um, but absent that, um, you know, there is some recourse, apparently. Um, there are other, you know, non-lethal approaches as well. Uh, increasing fence heights would be one, um, uh, which isn't necessarily harmless to the deer. We had several pictures sent to us of deer that fa failed to clear high fences and were impaled. Um, so that can have that consequence, um, you know, and an ed educational program and so forth. In any case, what I'm going to do is in District 4, I'm going to go door to door with an information sheet and a survey, and I'm going to ask people what their preference is, and I'm going to try to get the word out in this means of what is available and how we should proceed on it. Okay. Could I we, just add quickly to that, that I think that's really an excellent point that's been understated on this issue of the urban deer, that the focus has been mostly on gardening and landscaping plants, but I think there really is an increasing safety issue. Um, I'm afraid that this issue is not going to come to a head in the city until a child is injured by a deer. And as a parent, I think that's a real concern. I've seen my kid and my nieces um, both far closer to deer than I would like to see them. I brother has had to go out and shoo the deer away from his car before he can take the kids out to get in the car. I know of several dogs that have been injured. And so I think that's really an important concern. You know, when we talk about safety, I think that is an important issue to consider with the neighborhood deer. Mm -hmm. We do have a few more folks on the, on the line here I want to try to get to. Alice, um, go ahead with your question. Hello? Hi, Alice. Go ahead. Hi. Thank you for uh, taking my comments. Um, I have two quick comments. One is I'd like to again clarify Council Member Rollo's inaccurate comments regarding the immunocontraception program on fire in Crip Island. The, actually, the goal of that research project was never to restore forest regeneration. The goal of the project was to reduce the deer herd, which it did, and it was considered a success. And then I wanted just to respond quickly to the question raised by another caller, Liz. Um, Actually, deer are not the main vectors of Lyme disease, um, or the, rather the ticks that cause Lyme disease. White-footed mice are, um, and humans can carry them, too. So um, there was a sort of, I think, a misconception because of a misnomer in which they call the ticks deer ticks. But actually, deer are not the main vectors. Um, and it just 
I think it's important to be informed about what the deer are and what they aren't. Um, and then the, the deer safety issue, what I'm hearing a lot is anecdotes. Um, and so I think when people make statements like several dogs have been injured, um, it would be helpful to have more information um, to know exactly what the circumstances were and what happened. Um, because I think that there's a sort of a, 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 a perception, a misperception about deer um, who are not uh, predators, but they are prey animals. Um, I mean, and, yeah, and if they are if they are approached and threatened in some way, they will try to, to flee. Um, and sometimes when they're startled, because um, I walk among deer all the time, um, and quite safely, um, or walk past them, I should say. Um, so I just, I think, you know, we can have sort of anecdotes, babbling anecdotes, but I think for city officials, it's really important um, to actually have numbers and statistics if they're going to make statements like this. Otherwise, it may mislead the public and reinforce misperceptions about the deer. Thank you. Thank you, Alice. And I think, Dave, that kind of gets back to, to what you were saying and that Griffey was the one where we had the evidence that, that backed this up. We had the study, but with the city, it's really complicated and just this need for, for good evidence. Uh, yes. Well, we do have deer vehicle collisions that uh, increased dramatically over a 10-year period, then reached a plateau and now seem to be edging up again. So, um, you know, we, we, we do have that information in terms of numerical. Um, I wanted to address again that the Fire Island study only showed deer reduction in one area uh, of the island, not in the rest of the island. So it's very selective to say, uh, and there were perhaps conflating reasons, and that is the deer feeding ban. Um, and in terms of the, the Fripp Islands, uh, I'm sorry, this is, I have Gaithersburg here, um, which is another closed system, showed no reduction over, over many years. The Fripp Island study actually, it, the, the interesting thing about it was that the deer were already stunted. They were already hungry. They were much smaller than uh, a deer you would see here. So their population was really at the point where it was crashing. And so it, that is something that's also difficult to tease away with whether or not there was any effect of the immunocontraception. And then there was predation by, believe it or not, alligators. Now, this is a closed system, again, in any case. And we don't have a closed system. Griffey is an open system, as has been stated. So, um, you know, even the best case examples of a closed system, the evidence is not there. Okay. We have a few more folks here. Mark, you've been waiting a long time. Sorry it took us long to get to you. Go ahead with your question. Uh, am, I, am I on? You are on. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, hi, Dave. This is Mark Haggerty. It, it seems to me that the whole deer task force has been cherry-picked from people that were pro-deer kill from the beginning. It seems to me that many of those people, including the city council, haven't been to Griffey to see anything. It appears to me that those of us who actually do go out there and are out there constantly don't see any deer, very few deer. And it also appears to me that the things that you regard as deer damage and that this biology department, or part of the biology department uh, regards as deer damage, is not really deer damage at all. 
and that this also appears to be a propaganda show put on by IU in order to reinforce conclusions brought about by people at IU. Those of us who are naturalists and actually out there don't see your evidence and don't find your conclusions. And we're wondering why that this show has to represent only your point of view. Can you answer any of that? I'll answer a couple of questions, and then I'll, let, I'll turn it over the, to Dr. Shelton for her take on the science. The DEER task force was not cherry-picked. It was uh, assembled by the county, by the mayor, by the city council. All of the people that were on it uh, were open to all approaches. We had three uh, animal welfare experts, including the CEO of the Monroe County Humane Association. Um, we had a, a wildlife rehabilitator from um, uh, Wild Care. Um, we had two sociologists who had worked with deer, uh, with animal uh, human conflict, one with bear human in Japan, one with uh, deer human in Scotland. Um, we were all, uh, no, uh, we had a hunter on who was not associated with IU. She was a bow hunter, expert bow hunter. Um, well, that sounds like somebody's non-biased. Well, we had everyone represented. We had the animal welfare, and we also had the... Um, so it was a broad base, and actually, I, let me mention this, because this is... We were viewing information that had come over a period of... Uh, we had come over a period of two years of debate, and and not, the not, people not that, on, that, represent, that are represented on Bannads didn't come to any meetings. It was an open process. It was a public process. We invited public comment. We went into the community. We did an online survey. We, everything was open and transparent. There was nothing hidden from people. We debated every option. And yet, I mean, the HSUS regional director, who lives in District 4, came to one meeting at the very end and didn't participate. It's a, it's, I, I'm mystified by that. Uh, now, uh, uh, Angie can address the science. Can, can you address how you know that this damage was done by deer? Well, all of the data that we collected was comparing differences between deer exclosures and non-deer exclosures. Um, so I, I'm not sure what other effects could have or what other factors could have caused those differences between inside and outside a fence. Um, and I'll point out the fences did have relatively large gaps. So, and I know that there were rabbits and other small mammals that could get into those fences. And so um, I think it's pretty clear that those differences were caused by deer because they're the primarily thing that was excluded in the one treatment. Okay. And Mick, we had someone calling in asking what they're going to do with the deer meat. I think we should just, we only have a couple minutes left in the program, but if we can explain what's next, what's going to happen in Griffey, what the process is, and if you can do that in two minutes. Great. That was exactly what was on my mind. So we have applied for a permit through DNR. The DNR sends a fish and wildlife um, representative to examine the evidence, examine the site, tour the site and make a recommendation to their executive director who then decides to issue the permit or not. I don't know how long that'll take. Uh, we've been contacted, the visit's taken place, the report's being processed, don't know where it is in the queue with the DNR and the Fish and Wildlife Division. Um, if the permit is issued, as by contract, the sharpshooting company would come in sometime between November 15th and the end of February, so carrying over from the end of 2014 into 2015 to perform the, the deer call uh, during that time. During that time, we would inform the public 
and neighboring um, property owners when the activity would occur. It's not going to be every day during that entire period. The park's not going to be closed every day during that entire period. In fact, uh, it'll probably only be 10 days total of closure and noticed. everything will be noticed in advance so people will be aware of that. We'll have private security there to protect the public, not anything more than that, just to make sure they're not wandering off in areas where the activity would occur. White Buffalo has never had an incident where there's been anyone hurt during a sharpshooting activity, and they've done this throughout the Midwest and elsewhere. Uh, so we're quite confident in their safety record. And uh, as the, the members of the firm explained to me, if the conditions aren't right, we simply don't discharge our weapon without all conditions being acceptable. And the most important one is safety of, of the people and the environment and the, and the animals, for that matter. We're not gonna, they're not going to take a shot unless it's the right time, right place, right location. So, um, so that's where we are, waiting for the permit to come back then the activity and the notification will occur at those times somewhere between November 15th and the end of February. Okay, and what happens to the meat really quick? I'm sorry, I forgot about that. Donated to Hoosier Hills Food Bank. Okay. Uh, local hunters, and um, uh, they have a name. I'm, I'm losing their name, but anyway, they're going to process the meat for us uh, at their cost, and then we're going to give it all to the local food bank. Okay. Unfortunately, we're out of time. A lot more we could get to if we had more time, but thank you to our guests. Thank you to Will for co-hosting with me. Thanks to engineer Mike Pashkash, producers Lacey Scarmana and Claire McInerney. Thanks for listening to Noon Edition. Have a great day. Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. You can find podcasts of this and other WFIU programs at WFIU.org. Production support comes from Smithville Communications, serving southern Indiana with fiber gigabit internet and digital IPTV. More information at smithville.net. And from IU School of Public Health Bloomington. Addressing public health needs by preventing disease, promoting health, and improving quality of life across the state and around the world through research, teaching, and community engagement. Offering undergraduate and advanced degrees. publichealth.indiana.edu.